the Gospel of Mark as we, as we are in Sunday school as well. The um, hope being that in a month or two we will begin to uh, invite people to a, uh, an evangelistic Bible study called Exploring Christianity. And if you have a chance, uh, just come even one or two Sundays to Sunday school. It would be good for you, I think, just to see um, how helpful this stuff is. And I hope how effective it will be to help us take the gospel to the community of Jasper. Um, Be in prayer for it even now. Be praying that God would um, be pleased to bless our labors, that he would bless us um, with fruit, and that we would have many sons and daughters that are his that would be brought into his family through the preaching of the gospel here. And prayer is an uncountable necessity to the growth of God's gospel in the world. And I can't urge you enough that even if there is nothing else you do, that prayer is actually the thing that God requires. Without anything else, there would be no church if there were no prayer. And so be praying that God would rise up men and women to hear his gospel and believe. We're going to talk this morning about a very famous miracle that Jesus did. Um, you know, there are lots of miracles that we don't talk much about. Um, the, we've talked about some of the more famous ones as I've been preaching through Mark, but there's things like Jesus rose, raised a son from the dead who was in a coffin on his way to be buried. We just rarely talk about that. For whatever reason, that's a miracle we don't talk about much. We don't talk about several other of his miracles that are just less... I don't know, impressive. And so we're going to talk about one of the most impressive things he does miracle-wise this morning. And it's the feeding, as we know it, the feeding of the 5,000. So Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. So they had been sent out by Jesus, the 72, uh, to go to different towns and to preach the gospel. So they returned and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For they were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So he's giving his his disciples rest. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So he's trying to get his disciples away. People see where he's going. And he gets swamped when he gets there. There's several times in the Gospels where Jesus says things like, Don't tell anyone what I did. And it's for this main reason that he says that to them. We need some peace and quiet. we got to have some rest. And people obviously don't keep those things to themselves too often. When he went ashore, he saw, the great, saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep. Without a shepherd. Now, this this miracle is told in all four of the gospel accounts. And Mark's gospel is the only one that gives us the reason he had compassion on the people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something themselves something to eat. But he, Jesus, answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, "Uh, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 
right? So this is a very minimal amount of money, about one day's wages worth of money. So imagine this multitude of a crowd and you have $100 to feed them, a couple hundred dollars to feed them. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and they were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. We pray that your spirit would be with us, that he would enlighten our hearts and our eyes to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know this as the feeding of the 5,000, because right there it says 5,000. But it says 5,000 men, if you'll notice. Um, And more than likely, that's not an an inclusive men, based on other things and how we understand how this is recorded. And so we're talking 5,000 men plus somewhere in the neighborhood of three to 5,000 women plus however many children, right? And so they didn't have small families back then. So we're talking conservatively in the neighborhood of fifteen to 20,000 people. That's the size of Jasper, right? So the whole... Imagine the entirety of Jasper. So Strassenfest is coming up. A whole bunch of people go down to Strassenfest. I don't know how many people in a day. I haven't looked it up. But imagine the whole crowd of the busiest day at Strassenfest. That's what we're talking about here. Just an insane amount of people gathered to hear Jesus preach. And so this miracle is not 5,000. It's more like fifteen or 20 or 25,000 people. This is a huge Amount of people to be fed. Two loaves, or five loaves, two fishes. And I want to just impress this on you because this is really, um, this is basically all that most people ever talk about with this, with this miracle, is just the shock and awe of it. It's just an amazing thing. And it should be shocking to us that Jesus could do this sort of thing. Um, this is without a doubt, one of the, the most amazing quantitative miracles of the New Testament. Just scale, mass. And yet, again, remember back a couple weeks ago, we started going through Mark, and we read Mark 2. Why does Jesus heal the paralytic? To prove that he has the authority to forgive sins. And this is the lens. This is what we have to be thinking. When we read about what Jesus does... We have to ask the question, why did he do it? What is he trying to say? What is he trying to communicate about himself and his ministry? Forgiveness of sins. So then you begin, hopefully, you should, if you you take just a minute, be thinking about the times in Scripture where this sort of thing happens with bread. Right? The most famous being manna. Now, we don't know what manna was. If you don't know what manna is, don't feel bad because manna just means basically, what is that? Or this, this weird stuff. Or 
something on the ground. They, they literally just said the word that meant, I don't know what this is. And it was the word manna. And that's what we call it. Whatever this stuff is, it's manna. I don't, I don't know what this is. Manna. So manna is not a type of bread, which is, I think, what we sometimes think. Like, it's a type of cor. It says it, it was like coriander seed mixed with honey. It's just like it. They, they had nothing to compare it to. They're just like, eh, whatever. And so every day they would go out and gather up whatever. Manna. And think of how many thousands and millions of pounds of this stuff came. This wasn't a single day in the desert. It was the whole 40 years of the desert. And it was a million plus people every single day that collected this stuff. We're talking a scale of magnitude that we just, we just gloss right over when we think about what happened. We just pretend like it was just like, oh, I guess I'll go get my cup of manna today. Million plus people every single day for 40 years did this. Just got their, got their daily quota of manna, went home, mixed it up, ate it. Same thing happens right when they complain they haven't had any meat. He sends quail. Quail this high, just thick thieves. Like we just gloss over just how unbelievably incredible this sort of miracle is. And we have other instances of bread being given miraculously. Elijah, right? Elijah goes to the widow woman and her son, and she, he goes, make me a cake, would you? And she goes, uh, I, I would. I see that you're a man of God. But basically what you're seeing right now, Elijah, is we have enough for one cake of food. We're going to eat it, me and my son, and then we're just going to starve to death. We don't have anything else to eat. We have no money. We have no means. We're going to eat this cake and die. And Elijah says, first make me a cake, and then you can have what's left over. And I say this to you, you will not run out of this until the end, like until you're satisfied. And so what happens is over the course of, it doesn't say exactly how long, but given the timeline, probably a year or so, is the time of ministry we're talking, that every single day this woman goes to her cupboard where she's got a couple scoopfuls of flour and a little bit of oil, and every day she scoops out a couple scoopfuls of flour and a little bit of oil for a year and feeds three people. Every day. I mean, you guys have all had the experience, right, of going to the pantry and needing to have sugar or flour or whatever you need, and you go... I might have enough. And you just... Uh, that's pretty good. Imagine every day you go, well, that was it. And then, like, well, I guess I'll check again and see if we got enough for... And you have it every day. Every day. Now, there are lots of parallels between Elijah and Elisha's ministry and Jesus' ministry. Uh, both Elijah and Elisha raised people from the dead. Elisha did it posthumously. He was dead and buried and somebody got thrown in on top of his grave and rose from the dead. Lots of crazy miracles that we kind of forget happen in the Old Testament. So that's bread stuff. Elisha, right, um, feeds a whole bunch of men with a hundred barley loaves. Um, There are lots of things that we should be thinking of when we think of this miracle. Right, we just went through First Timothy, First Timothy chapter six. For if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. 
Food is part of the Lord's prayer that we just prayed. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a common theme throughout Scripture. And it's something we neglect and forget all the time except for during harvest every year. We sing, come ye thankful people, come. Da-da-da-da, harvest home, all is suddenly gathered in. I forget all the words. Um, That's the only time of the year that we like consciously are thinking, God actually is the one that gave us all this stuff. That it doesn't matter how technologically advanced corn and beans and whatever else we get are. It doesn't matter how much splicing of the DNA we do. That at the end of the day, it is God who feeds the multitudes of this earth. And if he were to say no food, we would have no food. And it is every day, him, just like with the Shunammite, or not the Shunammite woman, that's Elisha, just like with the widow woman, Every day, even though we think we've got a ton of flour and eggs and sugar, it's him who supplies every day. But this is different, and I don't want to make light of the fact that this is different. Because this is extraordinary. This is Jesus doing the absolutely impossible. We know how to get flour out of the earth. And God, by his grace, lets us do it year by year the same sorts of ways. We take wheat... Or whatever you want to make your flour out of these days. It's like, I don't know, you can make flour out of crickets, I think. I mean, it's anything you want. So you take wheat, you take the seeds, pluck them out, however you're going to do it. Machines do this today. And then you put them in big bushels of seeds. And then you plant them into the ground with big farm equipment and these huge fields. Have you ever, have you ever seen the wheat fields out west? It's an, it really is incredible. Uh, I, I grew up in northern Indiana where we have large fields compared to down here. And then when I was in college, I went out west. And I happened to be out there when they were combining. And they literally, 10 of the most humongous combines you could ever imagine, all in a big like, hor- like angular line, one behind the other. Just these, I don't even know how big these farms were. Thousands of acres at a time, just mowing it down to feed the world. We know how the bread gets made. Right? They take, take that stuff, you grind it up, you make the flour, you put it with some sugar, some yeast, and boom, out comes the bread. This is not what happened here. Jesus didn't miraculously grow a whole bunch of wheat, smash it up, make some flour, combine it with some sugar that he grew, smush it up, and hand it to the people. He did something altogether different. And he did something that is impossible. And he did what we would say created out of nothing. There's a theological term, if you hear it, it's called ex nihilo. So if you're ever reading something, hear somebody that wants to sound smart about this, that's what they'll say, ex nihilo. It means out of nothing. Jesus didn't just somehow miraculously, molecularly divide fish and, and loaves up. He went, take them out, and then they just were there. It was like the widow woman with the, with the flour and the oil. It was like manna from heaven. In fact, we know that's exactly what it's like because in John 6, where this miracle is recorded, he talks about it. You just want to be fed like the children of Israel in the desert. 
he says. He knows that's what people are thinking. And this is God manifesting himself as the creator of the world. Right? This is Jesus saying, I am the one who made the earth and all that is in it. It belongs to me. I do what I please with this world all the time. It was not just to make people's bellies full. And so when we think, when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, that it's simply to keep our bellies full. We've missed the fact that it is the God of the universe who listens to our pleas and cares enough to do this for us. He has compassion on us, Mark 6 says. Compassion on us. And what does he have compassion on us for? Mark 6 says he has compassion because he saw the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, how important is this in a life in the ministry of Jesus? Unbelievably important. He is not just here to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and to forgive sins and to proclaim himself to be God. But more than that, he is passing on a ministry so that throughout the world for the next thousands of years, until he returns, all men everywhere can hear the good news and eat of him, the real bread of life. Right? John 6, when he's explaining why he did this, he says, I did this because I am the living bread. That's why he did this. Because people everywhere need to know that he is the living bread. And how does he accomplish it? How does he get the message of him being the thing you need to the world? Well, the world is without shepherds. The world is without pastors. That's what that word means in Scripture. It's without elders. It's without men to teach and to lead. Now, these men, these, these folks who got fed, they had teachers and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and leaders among them. But they had no shepherds. They had no one who cared for their souls. How important? How important? You guys are well aware of what happened with Peter the night that Jesus was betrayed, right? When he denied he knew Jesus three times and the rooster crowed and he wept bitterly and went out from the court. And then you're probably also aware that he was restored later. Now think, think. What happened when Peter was restored? John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And we we focus on, oftentimes, the sweet restoration that Jesus does with Peter, which is a very important part of this, right? That Peter is restored to his Savior. But then listen to what Jesus says to Peter as he's restoring him. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Sheep without a shepherd. He ends his entire ministry on this earth, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you, do you love me? And Simon said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep, sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my lambs. That this compassion that Jesus shows in Mark 6 at the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 20,000, is how he ends his earthly ministry of passing on shepherding of his sheep. That there is nothing to be had here without shepherds in the church. And we know this. We know this historically. We know this categorically, that when shepherds fail to shepherd the sheep, all manner of sin and awfulness enter into the flock. Disease, wolves, lostness, damage, brokenness, starvation. And you see that in all kinds of different denominations and churches across the world throughout history. That when the sheep don't have shepherds, because the shepherds have done whatever else they've decided to do, but they have abandoned the sheep above all for whatever thing that they have that they've abandoned the sheep for. Sheep without a shepherd have no one to feed them, have no one to eat from, and die of starvation and disease and lostness and wolves and abandonment, no shelter. Jesus was the good shepherd. That's what John 10 says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they come to me. What then are pastors and elders? They're shepherds. We continue on this ministry. Now we don't have the creative power of God within us. There is no way for me or any other man on this earth to just say, I'm going to make fishes and loaves turn into food for 10,000 or 20,000 people. God might, by his executive authority, grant a miracle like that in our day and age. More than likely, though, it will be the normal sorts of ministry. Where Jesus says, early on in this, to his disciples, why don't you go give them something to eat? And they say, what are we going to do? Buy, buy up the whole stores in the countryside? We don't have enough money for that. And Jesus is not talking to them about food. They're just dense. They don't get it. He's talking to them about spiritual food. I'm going to end with reading just chunks of John chapter 6, which is where Jesus explains why he fed the 5,000. On the next day, so after this, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that they, where they had only been one boat there, that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone, and other boats from Tiberias came to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So the crowds were over here with Jesus. He feeds them. This is, he leaves in the middle of the night. Um, this is when Jesus walks on water gets to the other side, everybody sees he's gone, and they go right after him again. Follow him across the water. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Not exactly what you would expect Jesus to say to people he has compassion on. Right? He had compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd, so he fed their bellies. 
And then they come craving back. And he says, you did not come here for the sign. You came here to have your belly filled again. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Right. So they're going, what's the the constant sign? What what can you give us all the time to show us that you're with us, that you're going to take care of us? The, the Exodus, they got 40 years of bread in the desert. You give us one meal. What do you got for me? Is their demand. That's what they're asking him. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They're just... I I want, I want, I want. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you don't believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever does not come, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he says, stop asking about miracles and getting your belly filled. I am the thing, he says. I am the thing you need. And you don't eat of me because my father is not drawing you. Verse 60 of John 6. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? So if in your head you think, that's pretty ridiculous. He has compassion. He feeds them. They come asking for it again. He says, you don't know anything about the food you need. And it's because my father has not drawn you. And the disciples, a lot of them say, "That's a, who can bear that? That's crazy. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Is it, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus, in his miracles, divides the world. There are people who come seeking signs, seeking stuff. What do you have that I can consume so that I might live? That's still true. This is how we look at church. What is the stuff that you can give me so that I can consume it, so that I might be satisfied? Where is the stuff? And Jesus says, you missed the whole thing. I am the bread of life. Come to me and never be hungry again. That is what we believe. And then he says further, no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. That the Spirit is the Spirit, and it blows where it pleases, and the flesh is no help at all. Right? This echoes the beginning of John's Gospel where he says, um, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. That we're thinking and we're talking about evangelism and we're doing this work and we're hoping and we're praying that God would add to our number. But if we begin to hope and pray and act as though the number is the thing, like the miracle, the sign of life, that our church grows, that's what, we tend, that's, that's what tends to happen as we begin to pray about this thing that we actually do desire, that God would save people. It turns into God satisfy our desire to have a full pew. But what we need to have focused in our minds like a laser beam is that God is the one who saves. It is his and his alone. And Jesus is the one who makes life from death. He is the one who opens the heavens and feeds the masses. And there is no other name by which we must be saved. So we have to be fully convinced in ourselves that we believe the Son of the Most High God. And that that is the all-consuming, total motivation and prayer of our life. Because if it's not, if it's not, we'll be just like these five to 20,000 people who thought, fill my belly, fill my belly, fill my belly. And Jesus says, I'm not going to fill your belly again. I am the bread of life. This verse and then we will pray. This is 1 Corinthians 10. For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So this is the Exodus. And all ate... The same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That those who really believed in the desert were not there because Jesus, because God gave them manna and water. They were kept alive because Jesus was their food. And that's us too. We're the same. We need Jesus to be our food. And we want him to be the food of many. Let's pray this morning and then we'll take communion.